0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week they host different events all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the fab foe
1: Cush Supply Co., or Cushco, is our wonderful OSIRIS sponsor and partner who also happens to be the largest producer of packaging products for the cannabis industry. As medical and recreational cannabis continue to be legalized, one leader has emerged as the go to company to produce state compliant packaging for cannabis, and that's Cushco. What does that mean? States have varying laws about how marijuana can be packaged. They need to be childproof, comply with labeling requirements and so on. Kush knows all the regulations for every state, but the packaging doesn't have to be ugly. Cushco works with producers to create their own branding on amazingly innovative boxes, tubes, bottles, and other packages so they look amazing and function extremely well kushko also produces vaping hardware and supplies if you've been in a cannabis dispensary lately you've definitely seen kushko products kushko has offices in 10 states plus canada and china please go to kushkosupplyco.com slash podcast to learn more about what they're up to and we thank them again for being a wonderful osiris partner
0: Hey, everybody. This is the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is episode 149. Matt, we're like one episode away from a really cool saying it's episode 150.
1: Huge, huge anniversary uh, milestone, even though <laughs> uh, we've probably done three times as many of that in actual episodes, if you count everything, but uh, Good point. official official episodes, it'll be big number 150 coming at you in a couple weeks.
0: Yeah, and we're um we got something really cool planned for it. So so just stay on the edge of your seats as you as you are right now. We can we can tell. <laughs> Matt, um where is Brad?
1: Well, uh we were hoping that he was gonna join us this evening, but he was part of the recent transaction uh when Spotify bought Gimlet. Uh they also wanted Brad, so we're gonna try and get him back, but right now he's property of
0: Spotify. <laughs> Oh man. He's going to be, he's got that Spotify money. Yep. Living big. <laughs> Living big. Um, Jonathan actually is legitimately sick. I think.
1: Yes. He gave us lots of input. We'll try to, um, either include or make fun of the things that he said, um, oh, this yeah. episode. <laughs> but he, uh, seemed like he was, he was definitely laid up. So, uh, uh, good healing vibes to Jonathan.
0: Yeah. And we have a, we have a really cool two part episode. Um, we've gotten a lot of uh, fan input and participation. So we're going to, we're going to talk about that before we get into the episode. We want to do a quick little fish news segment, Matt, do you want to talk first about the big Cypress stuff we're, we're going to launch?
1: Yes. So, um, kind of a big announcement from us here. We talked about the 150th, uh, episode coming up in a few weeks, but looking to later in the year, uh, collectively the Osiris family of which we are of course, uh, um, we're going to be looking back at Big Cypress in celebration of the 20th anniversary of uh, what most folks consider to be the the high water mark of Fish's career, and we don't want to do it alone. We've all got a lot of thoughts about Fish as you you know see and hear as you listen to us week after week, um, and, as well as some of our uh, sister podcasts on the network like uh, Beyond the Pond and Under the Scales. Um, but we want to get as many people involved in this as, as possible from the community. So, we want to hear your thoughts on Big Cypress. We want to hear about your experience uh, if you were there. So, if you were uh, at Big Cypress um, and you want to share some thoughts with us, what we want you to do is take an audio recording of yourself uh, telling us your story and um, email it to Big Cypress. At osirispod.com. That's big cypress, all one word, no spaces or dashes or anything like that. Big cypress at osirispod.com. Um, we we might use it in the podcast, so make it good. Uh, we may, um, <clears throat> it may appear on one of uh, our episodes or maybe, uh, a beyond the pond or somewhere else where we're going to be sort of as a network celebrating big Cypress this year. Uh, so if you have some good recording gear, uh, make a clean recording and send it to us. If you don't, um, worst case scenario, try to use the voice memo app on your phone. Uh, make sure there's no background noise or you're not driving down the road or anything. Yes. Exactly. No screaming kids, even though we sometimes have screaming kids in the (laughs) background here. Uh, Listen back to it. Make sure it sounds good. It's not distorted. There's nothing crazy. And make sure when you send it to us, you send us some contact information, because if it's really good, maybe we want to reach out to you and interview you. Uh, What do we want to hear about? Well, of course, the music. Uh, We want to know what you thought about all of the tunes that were played by Fish during that weekend. We want to hear about your journey there. Uh, We want to hear funny stories from things that transpired, what the scene was like when you got down to big Cypress, and thoughts, particularly on the midnight set. Uh, Did you stay awake the whole time? Uh, Did you see anything really crazy, really late at night? Um, Share all of that with us. Um, Feel free to, uh, to take your time thinking about this. This is going to be something that rolls out over the course of the rest of 2019. Um, So we may have other specific things we're looking for uh, as the year goes goes on um but we're excited to get this going and you can probably expect to hear something back from us and start to see some things uh hopefully this summer around the time of summer tour
0: yeah thanks matt it's really cool this is going to be a, a, as you said a big project and we're going to get a lot of input from a lot of fans and and others in the in the fish world so uh it's really exciting thanks thanks for doing all the work to set it up matt you're 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 in charge so Make, make it work. ruh
1: Yeah, no, we're, we're <laughs> excited. We've actually been talking about this for over a year uh, yeah. in, in planning, so it's really cool to start to see all this come together, and there's a lot of hands on deck uh, trying to make this happen, so um, I think we're you you should be excited about what's, uh, what's coming from Osiris later this year.
0: Yeah. One thing I just want to mention, it was brought to our attention that a couple of uh, fans are launching an art studio in Burlington, Vermont, and... I'm just going to put a link to this in the show notes. The two guys who are who are participating in this gallery opening, one of them is a fan and and made this amazing um, print called Rochester '84. It's a print of Jerry Garcia, and um, there were 75 of them made. And just check, just click on the link and check it out. It's really cool. They are selling these and they are um, donating some of the prints to Conscious Alliance and Headcount. So there's some some good causes there, but it's also just like a, a really killer, um, print done by a fan part of the community. So wanted to, uh, wanted to th- throw a shout out to those guys. The, the, the gallery is called safe and sound gallery in Burlington, Vermont. So if you're up in that area, check it out, but otherwise just check out this cool print of Jerry. I I've been looking at it a lot. It's, it's pretty sweet. The last thing I want to mention before we, before we jump in is that we're doing, if you, if you can't get enough fish show recommendations, if through us and other uh, venues, we're doing a, a weekly post on fish.net called weekly catch with Osiris. That was the brainchild of Brian Brinkman from beyond the pond. Each week we're going to post uh, a, a link to st- hopefully like a lesser known show. Brian put the first one up this week. I'm going to do one next week and every week we're going to, we're going to put something up there and give you something to listen to and a little bit of a review. So check that out on fishnet and we, we appreciate those guys for giving us lots of, uh, lots of opportunities to share more fish content. So if you guys haven't, you know, shown your appreciation for those guys, please do. And last thing, by the time this posts, you all probably will already have listened to the first part of under the scales season three premiere with Mike Gordon. I have not heard it yet. Matt has not heard it, but it is coming out, um, in a couple of days from, from the recording, it's going to be a two parter. And based on what I've heard from Tom, it's going to be pretty sweet.
1: Looking forward to that. Always like hearing Mike interviewed.
0: Yeah, it's sort of unique, you know, I mean, it's going to be anyway, it's going to be interesting. I'm sure everyone has has by the time they heard this, heard that. But if you haven't, check it out. So, Matt, should we get into a little overview of what we're talking about today? Yeah, I don't know if we even mentioned it yet. Uh, no? People f- probably could have seen from
1: the title of the episode. But uh, going back to a tour that I've, it probably doesn't get talked about a whole lot, and we're sort of in an odd anniversary of here, 16 years. Um, but uh, the winter 2003 tour, which was the first proper tour uh, of 2.0, um, we don't really talk about this whole lot and it's a no. it's a good time to uh, to kind of dive back into some of those shows I, as
0: as we talked about we've done 148 episodes before this one in addition to tons of quick hits and i was looking back through to see if we had ever focused on one episode from february of 2003 and we haven't we've done an hf pod plus on on one of them which we'll talk about but that's sort of surprising and maybe underscores your point matt that we actually haven't really focused on this at all even though it was the first tour back Right, they left the stage in October of two thousand, came back December of oh two, and then this was the first tour after. So maybe deserves more attention than than we give it as fans.
1: Yeah, and I don't know about you, but um, I really had not listened back to a lot of these shows uh, in a number of years. Um, I, you know, of course, when the tour happened, I listened to them like crazy. But I feel like by that summer a lot of the shows were almost forgotten. Um, And I go back to, you know, uh, one of the shows on this tour that we'll talk about was actually my first show. Um, So it's exciting to talk about that. And then of course there's legendary shows like Nassau um, that, you know, everybody knows about and sort of gets um, dissected to death. But there's a lot of shows in here that, I was kind of you know retriggering memories as I listened to this stuff you know things that you know 16 years ago I was listening to heavily um, and I was actually kind of surprised at, at some of the shows I don't know why but I feel like this tour is overlooked or gets a bad rap or something I don't know, I don't know if you had the same experiences that I did.
0: Yeah, I think this was um, for me at least. This was like sort of a weird time in in my fish music collection because I was just starting actual work after college, which is weird and and not cool um, but <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't just like sit around and trade tapes or CDs all day but so I didn't get a ton of the the music right away um, so I think that's part of it for me but but also just that yeah there were 12 shows it was just it's, it's sort of an odd tour and I, I saw two of them but uh, yeah just it's weird to go back because there's some real gems in here and um, a really unique sort of take on on a tour i assume that by the time they they got rolling toward the end they were probably not psyched to to end the tour
1: i guess not um that was another thing i realized like this is it's a super super short tour even compared to like you know some of the tours that they do in 3.0 12 shows really only like just over two weeks um that they were on the road playing which is crazy when you consider like if I kept trying to put myself back in the mindset of like what was going on during this tour and like, first off tickets were unbelievably difficult for every show because it was the first tour back and there was so much excitement, um, in the community about these shows. You know, people had this pent-up energy from a couple of years of not getting to see the band. Um, and it comes through on the tapes when you listen to it. The crowds just really, really sound rowdy. Um, we talked to a lot of... We, we surveyed everybody last week uh, on social media, including the Yem B Convo, uh, Yem Blog. Thanks to Scotty B for that. Um, and a lot of people chimed in about a couple of different shows saying like, man, I'd never heard energy like this before or after yeah. like Like it was just crazy inside the room. It was so loud. And, um, I was definitely, uh, that was kind of coming back to me as well. So, um, I think you're right probably for like all of that to have been happening for just be a short 12 show run. Um, I I wonder if, you know, by that Greensboro show, if they were kind of like, man, like, let's keep this thing going, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we know that Trey kept it going. He had a, he had a spring tour that year and, I saw a screenshot of someone listening to one of those, um, shows from the spring of Oh three Trey band show. I forget what show it was. And it was like a 30 minute night speaks opener. Second set. Like they were there. He was getting into the jams. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I saw, I saw Trey at the electric factory. Uh, on that tour, which actually that, that tour was really interesting too, because, um, coming off of the huge fish tour and all of the tray band tours before that, it had actually been in pretty big venues. Um, and then he did essentially like a club tour. It was a real short club tour that spring with the summer tour planned and coming up soon. So those were other like tray band shows that, um, you know, there was like, they were like super tough tickets and people were like all amped up about fish and everything like that. Um. Uh, it was, so it was a, it was a very very exciting uh time to be a fish fan. There was a lot of a lot of excitement and energy going on uh, in the scene.
0: Yeah, and so we're going to go we're going to do two parts. We're going to go through chronologically starting with the the 214 show which will come out uh you'll you'll be listening to this I guess on on the day before the the anniversary of that show if you get it on the day this comes out but we're going to go through the first half and then the second part will be the second half and I will say that the all the memories you all sent via Twitter and Facebook were really cool there was a ton of just I guess what you'd expect travel experiences you know people crazy people you met um show stories and and also just takeaways but I agree there was there's so much um it seemed like everyone had a unique perspective that the show that they saw was like hugely um, celebratory, or, or that the energy was was crazy. I, I think we heard that about you know half the shows.
1: Yeah, and a lot of people seeing their first show, like me, uh, on this tour. Um, so I think that that added to a lot of the excitement True. as well. Um, you know, if you were somebody like me, you know, as I've mentioned a couple times on the show before, I mean, I was basically waiting for got, you know, three and a half, close to four years at this point to see the band after I got into them. So, you know, the opposite experience that a lot of people have where they, you know, sort of went to a show relatively uninformed and stumbled into this amazing experience. I knew what I was getting myself into and I dreamed about it for, (laughs) you know, for four years. Yeah. Um, which actually speaking of which this, uh, this first show on the tour, uh, Valentine's day, uh, little throwback to an episode of ours from a few years ago, uh, this was the first show that a uh, friend of the pod, Katie Tur, uh, attended
0: at the nice. uh, at the
1: forum in LA.
0: Nice, good, good memory. Way to pull that pull that back. Yeah, um, that was so. Yeah, let's get into that. The the two fourteen. I will just say that the I, I did a calculation. According to my calculations, this the average Fishnet rating for these twelve shows was three point nine seven, which I think is puts it. You know, if you if you average that out over twelve shows, that's like a pretty solid average, wouldn't you say, Matt?
1: It's pretty solid. Um, so let me before we get into each show, I guess. Uh, did you like? Did you have any sort of overall impression about the tour after listening back to it?
0: Um, I guess one thing was that I I, I heard a lot of. Uh, grooves and licks particularly from trey that i'm more familiar with from the summer that i kind of heard the beginnings of that was one thing and then there's just there's a lot going on in terms of the variety like there's not a lot of funk like that you would expect from you know the late 1.0 years it's just it seems like a totally different sound even from the 99 2000 stuff that was that was sort of my main takeaway going back
1: yeah i i can definitely hear that it um you hear the the seeds of the 2.0 sound uh, that's I kind of noted that um, they would expand on that in the summer I I heard a little bit more of a bridge from 2099 uh, in terms of like how they took some of the, a lot of the groove oriented playing that they were doing at that point um, which Trey did a lot of uh, with Trey band over you know the couple of years and Paige was playing a lot of groove oriented stuff with Vita blue and so I think it made sense that kind of the way that they started. Um, you know, kind of adapting and growing that sound. I think like overall, I was surprised at how good the tour is. There's some really, mm-hmm. really strong shows on this tour, some of them that I think I probably thought that back back in the day, but like I said earlier, you know, just sort of kind of went away with time uh, and some some shows that were really fun to listen to. There were some a few shows that were that are kind of clunkers um, and you start to see, the problems, if you didn't like 2.0, like you start to see some of the problem areas uh, when you listen to these shows. So there, were, it was a little uneven at times. Um, but overall, I think the tour was actually way better than I thought in my memory.
0: Hmm. Well, I, so we're gonna probably get into Trey's playing. That was the other one of the other observations that the, you know, the composed parts were not always great, but right. his playing, the improv, is pretty incredible for most of the tour.
1: Yeah, all of them really. I mean, I thought they're they're playing uh, yeah. in general. All all four of them. Uh, Fishman too. Fishman's like just wailing on some of these jams. It's, it's
0: awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, so should we get into the first show that that Valentine's Day show?
1: Yeah. So uh, they start off the tour Valentine's Day two thousand three at the L.A. Forum and um, come out uh, and early in the first set uh, did a cover of uh, cover of the Rolling Stone. Um, which I think it was maybe that day or that, like that week, their first, uh, Rolling Stone cover came out. That's the one with them, uh, dressed up really weird and the ice capades get up and stuff like that, which was a little strange. But, um, I guess that's the other thing I was trying to, I was remembering is like, there actually was a lot of like media attention on fish and with them mm-hmm. with them coming back like they they played snl they played letterman uh they were on the cover of rolling stone they were actually getting coverage for like on mtv news and stuff like that there was like actually a lot of attention on fish coming back which seemed a little weird um you know after the, they had been sort of this underground thing for so long um, and so I think they were poking a little bit of, of fun at that. But um, I don't know. What do you think about this, uh, the tour opener?
0: Well, I thought that um, I just wanted to use a phrase that my father-in-law introduced me to when he's talking about people wasting time, which is jackassing around, which I, I felt like they were kind <laughs> of doing at the beginning there with the My Sweet One and Cover of the Rolling Stone and, you know, the chalk dust getting back into it. But, man, those that middle part of the first set with the fee and the taste and the bathtub gin is is great. And there's so many good bathtub gins this tour that, that's that's one thing that just man halfway through the first set of the first show something like that comes that that's a pretty uh, great it's a pretty great statement
1: Two thousand three was a really good year for for bathtub gin. Um, there was some great ones. That was maybe maybe the sort of the best song of the tour. Uh, it was pretty consistently awesome every time that uh, that that popped up in the set list.
0: So, what do you think? What was Trey doing between the the October two thousand last show and then coming back this tour? He was he was playing with the solo band. He was playing a lot. Obviously, it seems like he was he was pretty well well. Practiced and ready to go.
1: Yeah, his guitar chops were definitely uh, still probably at their peak at this point. Um, really fast playing. Uh, mm-hmm. There were, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, throughout the tour, we'll talk about the flubs, um, which kind of became a theme of 2.0, but I wouldn't say that it was for lack of skill or you know practice on the instrument it was really more cobwebs of having not played the songs for a couple of years and then maybe the band not rehearsing them as much as they they should have uh when they they came back um but, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the playing, when you compare the tempos in this period, uh, to, you know, maybe the way that they would play some of the songs today, uh, it almost sounds like they're, they're twice as fast in some cases.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. Well, this, and this show, it seemed like was sort of fine with like a really awesome, um, I, the first set was better than the second set for me, um, But, but a couple, I mean, there, there was a good Walls of the Cave in the second set, but did you, did you enjoy the first set more? Do you think that was like more of a highlight in terms of what to go back to?
1: Yeah, I thought the the first set was good. Um, overall, I mean, it, it was, it's kind of a typical tour opener. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, when you look at that show, without any context for anything else, there's some decent playing, there's a fun cover, stuff like that. But, um, when you look at it compared to the rest of the tour, there's not much there that really stands out. Um, you know, even the gin is good, but when you compare it to some of the other bathtub gins from that tour, um, it it can't even, you know, hold a candle to them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, this, so they go, um, they go from one night in LA to up to Vegas for, uh, for the 15th. And this was, um, I guess, they had played the Thomas & Mack Center before, but um, this is a maybe the second run at the Thomas & Mack, because they played there in, in 2000, I think, but... Uh, uh,
1: third, so, uh, Oh,
0: 97 uh,
1: Halloween. Uh, no, so I guess it's the fourth, right? So 97 Halloween, 98, uh, 2000 and then 2003.
0: Oh, so they only did like other venues a couple times earlier. They did that like Aladdin show in 96. That, and that and, was, that
1: was the first time in Vegas. Okay. So yeah. that was it. So yeah. they,
0: so, wow. So, okay. So they, at this point had a, a pretty good, uh, track record there. Yep. And
1: then, so I then after this, they would play at the Thomas and Mac the following year 2004 uh and those pretty horrific shows uh i was there man led to the (laughs) the dissolution of the band and they've never played in that (laughs) building again
0: (laughs) that was i mean there's no question that that first night of vegas 04 was the worst fish show i've ever seen wow um okay cool let's get back (laughs) back to the good one so So back to the, back, back to the, better Vegas shows because
1: these <laughs> this is where I think um, looking back at, at like the tour overall this Vegas run is definitely a highlight.
0: Yeah, what did you think of that first night in terms of in terms of the way it started versus the tour opener? Do you feel like it was they kind of kicked it off in in a better fashion or or same thing with a couple of highlights in the first set?
1: Oh yeah, I mean light years better. I mean the first set um, has a Wolfman's brother that is absolutely amazing. Um, it's Kind of like the anti-Wolfmans, instead of getting like super funky like it usually does, um, it gets really groovy. Uh, Paige does a lot uh, on the roads uh, in that Wolfmans jam. Um, and it's got a, a kind of a smooth edge to it that um, that a lot of Wolfmans don't necessarily have. Mm. So mm-hmm. um, that and then the antelope at the end of the first set is uh, is fantastic as well.
0: Yeah. One of our, uh, our friends on Twitter, Richard, Richard Nash wanted us to mention that antelope, um, specifically. And that is, that's one of the things like the antelopes and the bowies. There's a couple things that, that come up now and again in this tour that remind me that's where like Trey's ferocious guitar playing is just, just outrageous. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And Jonathan pointed out that the, the Wolfman's brother, um, search to your point was like, maybe one of like a prototype of a, the 2.0 jam so you started to hear that hear that same um format that you'd hear throughout the next couple of years
1: yeah yeah exactly that kind of pushing forward um not in the way that we talked about with 94 and 95 where they're sort of throwing a lot of ideas out there and seeing what sticks um this is more like they get to a wall and they just push on it and try and break through and see what happens and so you get to these places where it sounds like the jam should end and in a lot of other eras the the jam would end and instead they keep going for 5 or 10 minutes on sort of like an outro groove that that gives it a lot of life
0: yeah yeah totally and this um man the the second set here first of all there's you know the five song second set is always a always a great thing to to see and, you know, if you're looking at set lists, that's like, that's what you want to see. Right. I mean, you'd be maybe sad that you're not there, but that's a great show that you're looking forward to listening to.
1: Yeah. And in another sort of prototypical 2.0 move, um, the, the four or five song second set becomes a definite thing, uh, a lot in
0: 2.0. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, I should mention in the first set, the Reba was, is really nice, but the the second set, the ghost is just man. Really, really liking the ghosts from this this era. The ghosts and the gins are, are what I was sort of enjoying a lot going back to these shows. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Fishman is just really, really driving a lot of this, right? Yeah, he does. And this,
1: the ghost is another good example. You know, I mean, around 12 minutes in, um, they sort of start to push through to... I, I had one kind of revelation, and we've talked about this a little bit in the past. Like, I think one really good example that we've used um, not to jump ahead too much in time is the, the Utah Mr. Completely from the following summer where you can listen to like a 30 minute jam that doesn't really progress that far. It doesn't stray that far from, from where it started out. And what I was kind of thinking about is like a lot of people have, have kind of made this analogy that like they could, the, the, Place that they could get to in like a 20 minute jam in 1997, in you know, 2018, they could get there in like 10 minutes. But I feel like mm-hmm. in 2.0, the opposite true is true. Like it would take them 30 minutes to get there. And that's why you have a lot of these long jams that just very, very patiently just keep going on the same groove or the same vamp for a very, very long time and make kind of a slow incremental process. And you, you start to see that in this ghost uh, as well, where it just kind of pushes and pushes and pushes. And then the same sort of spacey thing that we talked about with the Wolfmans and they, they draw it out for a really long time.
0: Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of, um, variety too, just in the, in those sort of the 30 minutes or whatever that it takes or however many minutes. Right. And, and a little bit more of that, like democratic playing, I guess, like page will go into some sort of weird keyboard thing. It seemed like, I know that he was doing that in the, in the 98, 99 years, starting probably in 97, but it seemed more, maybe just cause there's like more space in between everything you know? Yeah. Not, not as fast, like in terms of the cycling through the jams, but really cool page and, and Fishman. And then Mike, a little bit later in the tour seems to, seems to sort of take over, but Mm -hmm. man, they're all, they're all playing so well right now Yeah, at this point. And the part of the conversation we had on the, on the internets, um, Scotty from the Yem blog and Jambase said, this was the genesis of, of fish, Fish fishes back. Our previous guest, um, chopaganda said that you know looking at the the 215 this five song second set that was like the, the conversation that everyone was having they're like oh shit fish is back which is a cool cool place to be
1: yeah yeah and then and, yeah. and, and to be honest with you when you look at that the at the the two shows put together though um i would take this the next night uh over the first night easily
0: yeah yeah so so this Next night, the second night in Vegas. I mean, the a Bowie catapult Bowie opener is just that's it's so cool. They that's that's op- something that they opened
1: the show with that. I mean, that's like
0: I know. Not it just doesn't it doesn't happen anymore, and it 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 didn't happen that much. it happened in like you know ninety three or ninety four that would happen a lot, but but it it doesn't happen a lot in those days or anymore now, right? Just yeah, so cool.
1: Well, well, so here you have like a lot of. sort of starting to to wrap itself up and develop here like crazy that they open with bowie um and not it's not even just like you know maybe today if they open with bowie you'd say like okay it's just gonna be like a quick 10 minute bowie let's like you know run through run through the motions but it's uh, you know bowie into catapult back into bowie and they do this catapult thing right before the like the peak and the the landing Bowie, (laughs) Like, usually if you saw something like that, it would be during the intro, during the hi-hat intro. Maybe they would start messing around with Catapult. Mm -hmm. Um, But they do that during this jam. And to your point earlier, this was probably the era where we last saw really, really great Bowies with great guitar playing. um, Taking their time to get from point A to point B. I mean, I think it's 18 minutes before they even do the Catapult thing in this Bowie. On the other hand, you, you know, I, I said, like, play the composed section of this as torture for your enemies and then get rid of them and play the jam <laughs> for your friends. Right. Because, like, the the composed part is just botched. I mean, there's like a huge section of it. Trey doesn't even play Paige is kind of just playing the, the you know, the lines <laughs> that they both uh, play in the middle of the composition. Um and that's all about the energy. But, but that was the, you know, kind of once again, putting myself back in the mindset of February 2003 and really most of 2.0, the debate was like, you know, they were just completely botching the composed parts of these more complex songs, but then they would follow it up with a crazy jam. And so there's, I remember there was a lot of division in this, the scene at that point of it was, you know, it was like taste great, less filling, right? Like people were (laughs) like, you know, they're, they're completely blowing it. And it's like, yeah, but who cares? We were there for the jams and the jams are raging and up to, and including Coventry that, debate kept going, um, because they, they, sort of kept along the same path.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And that, um, the jams are, are, yeah, that's what we, that's why we go. And this, this is a really nice way to start, start a first set. Um, we haven't, we haven't gotten into the rest of this, the first set yet. If you're, when we're sitting here before the 2019 summer tour starts, the last David Bowie first set opener was in 2010. So we're not, you know, we just don't see this kind of stuff anymore. But after that, there's there's some kind of messing around with with Coyote, but then <laughs> this round room sort of jam is is really cool.
1: Oh, it's gorgeous. Um, kind of along the lines of what we said before. Like they get to the end of the song and they just keep playing that ending and it becomes really delicate and beautiful and, um, great playing from Mike, you know, it's his song, his, his sort of ideas. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's amazing, but yeah, that actually was like, um, I just had forgotten about this round room, but a a really, really great version and makes me wish that they'd play it more.
0: Yeah. That was really cool. Did you, um, did you like the second set? I know you said you'd take this one over the night before the the second set opens down with disease with the seven below, which was a nice, nice, very intentional sort of transition in and out. But what what did, how do you feel about the second set?
1: I like the second set a lot. Um, the disease is great. Uh, I like the return to, d- to disease. This Piper is r- its pretty well-known, I-, I would imagine, of this tour. This is one of the jams that people probably know a little bit better. Um, it's really good, and it goes back into that disease uh, ending again before transitioning into Makasupa. Um, but I love it. I love the the furious playing throughout. I love the cohesiveness of the set. Um, it's really, really well executed. Um Tough to tough to pick between the two sets, but I would probably take set two uh, of this show, even despite the amazing Bowie in the first one.
0: And the the piper is, as you said, well known. It's a it's a fan favorite for sure. They it does seem like they're building toward like a really big peak, and then they sort of, I think Mike and Fish drop out, and it becomes a little bit more of a start stop jam when it could have just kept kind of building and building. But it's still still fun, and Fishman is. Is really driving it.
1: Yeah, I, I will say, I think there's, this is maybe the prototype for the rest of the Pipers in 2.0. And there's other better ones, um, you know, off the top of my head, uh, well, we'll talk about one a couple shows from now on this tour. Um, but even, uh, you know, off the top of my head, the Camden Piper from that summer, uh, I mm-hmm. think was a sim- of a similar style and and, and probably way better. But um, this one is is really, really good, especially when you get to the end.
0: And then you have the one from Miami, obviously in December. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is which is part maybe one of the best like fastest guitar tray I've ever heard. But we'll we'll get to that in another episode. <laughs> <laughs> so so this yeah the Piper really is a is a jam vehicle this this year. We, that's something we should talk about in terms of this tour, but also 2003. Like we've talked about that on other other episodes where we talk about different tours, like what was the jam of, of the tour? Um, I don't know if I would, if I know offhand for, for this tour, but but maybe we'll get to it as we keep talking. Yeah. Do you have have a thought right now? Um,
1: you know, I mean, maybe Jen, um, Mm -hmm. um, and you know, Piper, there's some good Pipers. I think Piper was having a moment because it had been the first song back, uh, when they opened up on new year's Eve. True,
0: true. Um,
1: so there was a lot of, I, I remember I heard a huge roar from the crowd at the beginning of this piper. And I think that was a lot of people kind of calling back to, to that show. Um, yeah. there's not, uh, of course, you know, there's one of the best tweezers ever. Um, uh, and, and another great one, but it's not a, like a tour that's chock full of a bunch of really great tweezers or anything like that. So, yeah. um, I don't know. I, off the top of my head. Maybe, maybe gin.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. So, they go to Denver after after two nights in Vegas, and and have a night off. But I'm I'm not sure this I'm not sure the night off um, really worked.
1: Yeah, I mean, good planning on their part to put a night off after Vegas because they probably needed it. But um, yeah. man, uh, they did not apparently did not sleep enough on the drive to Denver, or the altitude got them to them, or something. Because this is. Probably if if you if you're not as familiar with 2.0 and you wonder why people give it a bad rap sometimes, this show is a good place to start. Um, (laughs) It kind of has everything that that is strange about 2.0. Like there's really weird placement of songs. Um, There's lack completely botched. Composed sections or just, you know, not no energy, missed notes, things like that. Um, Very sort of uh, raspy sounding voices that are not necessarily singing the songs with the correct phrasing and stuff. Um, but then at the end of it, there's like a, a big yam that kind of elevates the whole thing and keeps it from completely going off the cliff. So, you know, you probably walk away from the show saying, hey, that was fun. Look at that awesome yam at the end. But um, the rest of it, I, I just I did not enjoy listening to this show. I'll be honest with you.
0: I saw your notes before I started listening. And then I started listening and the, the, the Runaway Gym openers is great and the energy is high. And then it it is just sort of an up and down set. Um, the first set. And one, one interesting thing is that the walls of the cave closer, I think is of the first set, say 17 minutes, 16, 17 minutes. And it's, it's, it's probably one of the longer versions of that song, but, but not that notable. Yeah, (laughs) just like, (laughs) it's a long time to, to, you know, not, not break ground. So sorry guys, but this, this was a little bit of the, the lion sleeps tonight, you know, coming out of enjoy myself seems to be the highlight of, of the show.
1: Kind of cool. But like, yeah, I mean, but to get back to one of the other points, like about like song placement. And I think this came up a lot during 2.0. Um, it, this was, uh, if you think back to some of these shows and you should definitely go back and listen to not just the highlights that we'll play, but um, some complete shows, there's a lot of space between the songs uh, throughout most of 2.0. And, If you're wondering, if you didn't see the band back then and you're wondering what was happening, literally they would stand around for minutes at a time on stage between songs, trying to decide what song to play next. <laughs> um, and I don't know. I think it was like maybe towards the end of 2.0 that Trey started using like a master song list on stage to sort of jog his memory. Um, so there was a lot of discussion going on, and it kind of it did make the shows feel very like laid back and um, like they weren't necessarily in a, in a rush to do anything. Um, but then you'd wind up with weird decisions about where certain songs go. Like you know this show like they open set two with Moma Dance, um, and it jams a little bit, but not really. But then you. Have like in the middle of the second set, Thunderhead and Divided Sky, like mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. out of nowhere, like kind of sapping some of the energy. Um, you know, not, you know, maybe that would be a better first set choice or something like that. Um, and then like an encore of NICU and Mexican Cousin. Like it's just yeah. a strange way to, to end the show. And you'd see a lot of this. I don't know if they were intentionally trying to shake things up with the set list placement in 2.0, but um, a lot of odd decisions.
0: Yeah, and the really channeling their inner inner Grateful Dead. You know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like they, there's like seven minutes in between songs. Yeah, just like hanging out. Um, Thunderhead. It's only been played six times, all in 2003. So that's one of the ones that didn't didn't come back for Baker's dozen or or anything. Might be might be permanently retired at this point. I, I hope not. It's a gorgeous song. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I kind of expected. Actually, I was hoping that it came back. during Baker's dozen when they played seven million songs or whatever it was but yeah this, maybe this maybe this year
1: this you know it's probably worth pointing out like this batch of songs the round room songs that um came out there was uh, you know, obviously like a lot of people were into them because uh it was you know new album the album had came out some sort of unexpectedly before the shows um they had like I think like announced and sold the tickets for the, not only the, the return run over new year's, but this entire winter tour before they even announced that they were going to release an album and it kind of came out of nowhere. So there was a new batch of songs. Mm. Um, but it's, it's weird because I don't know if you've, maybe this is just cause this is when I started seeing the band, but all of the songs on that album always still feel like they're new songs to me, even, mm-hmm. even newer than some of the like 3.0, like joy and fuego songs and whatnot. Um, I, they're like a different style and a different mood than a lot of the the material in the in the catalog, and I love them. I, I've, there's so many great songs that I wish you know I wish they'd play Pebbles and Marbles, for example, a lot more than they do. Um, but also, it doesn't sound like many other songs in the catalog.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, a lot of the well, Pebbles and Marbles for sure, and yeah, there's a few others that like the the Seven Below. It seems more familiar, but there's a lot of songs that I, I do agree that 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 they seem a little bit yeah new or foreign or something
1: yeah yeah and and, and, the compo- and great
0: mm-hmm. the composition it's sort of like halfway between you know the big compositions of the of the of trays and like just regular songs but but really good really good lyrics too you know yeah um some some pretty pretty heavy stuff in in a lot of those. 2.0 was just like a heavy time, I think, for everybody.
1: Yeah, and I, I know like there was a little bit of kind of Monday morning uh, quarterbacking or, or armchair quarterbacking about like, oh, the, all of these songs are about, you know, 9-11 and stuff like that. Because if we go back, all of that stuff was weighing heavy on our minds and we were at war and it was a strange time that now in retrospect seems so innocent. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but like, I, I think there was a lot of that, you know, we've we've heard – from Tom and and elsewhere that that was not necessarily the case in the songwriting. But I think there was a lot of like interpreting the songs through that lens at that point. And maybe fish was taking a shift into becoming a more sort of serious band writing about the times and whatnot.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, there is, well, there's, yeah. So Tom has, has talked about this sort of at length, um, pebbles and marbles and walls of the cave and some of the others that, that you're talking about of, so we don't have to go into it here, but I really like the the lyrics and I I know that there's yeah it's interesting thinking about it that way just like from the kind of zany creative years of early on right through the it did get more serious everything got more serious you know yeah fishman fishman stopped wearing a dress for a while like things got really serious (laughs) you know (laughs) but luckily he went back to it dark times dark times yeah yeah. But Pebbles and Marbles is, is such a good song that I wish they would play more. And, and speaking of that, we got that at the next the next show. Um, it's amazing to me that they've only played it 19 times ever.
1: Yeah, that's just, absolutely. That's not. crazy. That was the one of, of, you know, I've had this feeling about those songs for a while about, you know, I, I, I enjoy them so much and I love hearing them whenever I can. Pebbles and Marbles is one that I really forgot how much I love it and how beautiful it is. Um, it's and great jams that come out of it but just the delicacy of the um of the composed section uh it's it's just really awesome
0: yeah so this next show this is where i think in the the feedback that we got from fans this is i think one of the shows that where it starts to pick up where people are like the energy was amazing you know they were outrageously playing just really kind of on fire and this this first set of two twenty oh three is is up there. It's, it's really, really pretty great.
1: Yeah. If, um, the show before this Denver was the one that surprised me at how, uh, disappointed I was on re-listen, uh, this Chicago show is the one that surprised me the most as far as being really incredible. And one that I, I'm sure I listened to a lot back in the day. Um, but just was blown away at how great it is. I mean, really the entire show is, is fantastic.
0: Yeah. So at the, the, the end of the second set, we get the waves into simple and they got a jaboo. That's probably the highlight. Those those three three songs. And uh, I really love the, the jaboo closer out of all that. That was like such a great, great way to end a set.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the, the waves into Simple is really good, especially for a s- first set segment. Um, I love waves. I mean, not to harp on how great all these songs are, but I, I still to this day for, you know flip out whenever I can hear waves. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, it was cool the hearing this because the waves uh, from this period were a lot faster and drove ahead a lot more, whereas today I feel like they fall back a little bit more to um, kind of, you know, sort of... A, feels like riding on a wave or something like that. Um, and, and they're a little bit more psychedelic. These versions were, were a little bit more rocking, uh, fast paced. Uh, and then of course you get into simple, um, which once again, turns into one of these long, long, long explorations through sort of a minor haze. Uh, and, and when you get to the end um, as opposed to a lot of very beautiful, uh, jams or soaring jams that you get out of simple um, this kind of settles into this minor key groove and kind of stays there um, and it's this is a great segment that you could probably end the set with uh, and then you don't you have after that this 20 minute gotta that is just fantastic and has a great example of this um, awesome guitar playing from Trey, uh, that we were talking about before, but yeah. then also like the super funky rhythms that Fishman starts throwing out in the second half of the jam. Um, really awesome stuff.
0: Yeah. The, uh, the, the end of the simple, it sounds like there's like helicopters landing. It's yeah. all, it's like, it's pretty crazy. And I think a lot of that's Paige just fucking around, but probably Trey too, right? Everyone's like just, just deep into the effects, but yeah, falling into like that gotta jaboo is just is great and there's uh like this you know five millionth san jose tease of the tour and gotta (laughs) jaboo this like every every song there's a san jose tease um which is which is great but and even i recognize it and i'm not like someone who recognizes that stuff but the the jaboo is just man it's really really high energy interesting to contrast, like the contrast with the waves in the simple, which is a little bit more, um, you know, not, not slow, but just totally different tempo, totally different take on, on, you know, the way they're feeling. They were, they switch gears pretty fast there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and great, great way to, to end that, um, before the second set, which is just start to finish. Amazing.
0: Yeah. The, the tweezer, you know, ends up in retrospect being sort of a warm-up for for 228 there is actually I think there's a couple little riffs in there that Trey um, re- returns to in the Nassau Nassau tweezer but they um, this is a really good one and I I just I don't know I'm a sucker for for tweezer into something else and then like a nice ballad like I, I really like the mid-second set fast enough for you that's just what a great what a great place to to cool off. I think it it,
1: it is, although, you know, that's once again, back to the, the strange placement of songs. Um, yeah, you've got a tweet, you know, tweezer second set opener is, you know, to be expected. Great jam. Um, you know, very psychedelic in the first part, but then it it turns into kind of like a prototype of the Nassau version. Um, super, super rocking just without the Frampton stuff at the end of it. Um, but then, uh, then you go into punch you in the eye and fast enough for you, which is like yeah. <laughs> for that part of the second set, love those songs, love them back to back. It's really cool, but, uh, it's just odd for that, for that point. But then you get back to, uh, the end of the second set with seven below and pebbles and marble. So you have like a, you know, one, two punch of awesome round room songs, yeah. um,
0: back seven in, below is real weird.
1: Yeah, it, but it's super groovy again, kind of like that Wolfman's that we were talking mm-hmm. about from the first night. Um, you know, Fishman and page are playing these like sort of jazzy, uh, kind of things. Um, I, I, I almost thought that it sounded like a, like an MMW, Madesky, Martin and Wood song, uh, at, at times. Um, cause they're just sort of are, like jabbing back and forth with the drums and the, in the keys, um, and then the pebbles and marbles, we were talking about how, what a beautiful song that is and how so great some of the jams are. This is an odd version. Cause it's almost like a, my bloody Valentine thing. It just gets yeah. like noisy and <laughs> raucous and crazy.
0: Yeah. It's really, really great. And awesome closer. One of our, uh, one of our, uh, friends on the internet, WMC hammer 33 on Twitter, which, which I didn't realize that that was until now, but, um, he said seven song first set. Five songs, second set, all killer, no filler. There you go. Yep. What else can you say? Nothing. What I else can you say, Matt?
1: Probably in terms of my re-listening, the sleeper show of the tour. I'm really surprised yeah. at how great this was.
0: Yeah, I actually want to go back to it now that we've, I've already written a bunch of stuff about it, but I do want to go back to it, particularly the end of that first set, just the, the way of simple, Jabu, because the, the simple, I think, is a little more complex than maybe I, I described it, um, but but really, really cool show. And kind of does um, describe the up and down nature of of these shows, right? The, the Denver and then this one. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. And then I think the next night then uh, they get into Cincinnati for a two-nighter. Um, this, to me, was almost like a blend of the last two shows. Like you've got some really cool stuff, but then some real head scratchers. Um, were you at these are Ohio shows? Were you at these shows?
0: No, no, I was already in DC. So I only saw um, shows later in the tour. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the I have friends who went and I know that, you know, the, the second night is is people love and not a, not a lot of talk about the first night. Yeah,
1: and um, I remembered listening to the second site second night a lot. Um, a lot of this stuff came back to me, um, and then the the first night was definitely a little bit um, or not as familiar to me. I probably didn't listen to it quite as much, and when I did re listen, I, I probably remembered why. Um, like I was saying a second ago, you know, like the the disease is really cool. Um, it like. I think it takes one of the fastest turns into type two territory of any down with disease ever. It's Mm, only like mm -hmm. six or seven minutes and they're like, they've completely broken away from a standard, um, disease jam. Um, Mike leads them out of that. And so, you know, a nice, nice first set. I mean, what what did you think about the uh, the first set? Yeah,
0: the the antelope. I thought again was just like a great example of the the intensity and the the ferociousness. I think maybe in my head, I I thought that by this time, like antelope was already done. You know, as because I've sort of given up on three antelopes, and I I think in my head I sort of lumped. into it, but, but now that's, that's reminding me that I need to go back to, to some of these because just really, really intense, um, antelopes, which I really like. And the, yeah, the, this, I don't know, I don't really know what happened, um, in the second set, but the hood in the middle of the second set, again, kind of odd, um, placement, um, is really lovely and, and seems to be, if you listen to that in isolation, I think you would, consider it like a you might not know that it's from a show like this it's really just very beautiful version um but but it's yeah it's very up and down
1: yeah well then you know i mean to wrap up the first set back to the weird song placement after run mm-hmm. like an antelope they do i didn't know
0: yeah uh <laughs>
1: <laughs> like very it seems very strange almost like they were like oh wait a minute we wanted to play for another three minutes let's do <laughs> I don't know. I mean, even like compared to other, like, like acapella songs or something like that, that they could have done. I didn't know. It seems like a, such a strange choice. <laughs> and then you get into the second set and same thing. I had the same experience. I'm like, what the hell happened at set break? Like <laughs> they, it's just like sloppy playing missed cues. Um, sounds lethargic at, at times, like singing on phrasing and playing of composed phrases is just like not on. Um, page or, or Trey in, in 2001 seems to be trying to play all these teases of other songs, mm-hmm. but they don't, mm-hmm. they don't come through that great. Uh, and then like you said, like mid set Harry hood. Okay. It's good enough. And then all of these dreams after that possum and cavern, which is a you know, pretty typical set to closer and then a waiting in the velvet sea encore, uh, I don't know. It just, it just seems like they ran out of steam or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. <laughs> they did it. They ran out of steam like five different times in the show. That's what's weird about it. Yeah. It's not like what you'd see in 3.0, which is sometimes I think they just get tired and like the, the end is just like, cool, we got to go. Yeah. But this is like you run out of steam like four different times and then you come back. Yeah. The, all these dreams is, is cool. And I, I, when we were looking back at this, I hadn't realized that they had only played that that song twelve times ever. I feel like that's just something that they they play um not not super often, but but more than that. That's I like the song, but you don't you don't hear it very much.
1: I think it was like I, I guess those twelve times were probably all or mostly in, you know, like an 18 month period. So it's, it's it seemed like a lot at that time. I think that's the thing with all these 2.0 songs is like, they played them a lot in 2.0, like, you know, walls of the cave. I actually got a little sick of walls of the cave closing first sets. Um, in in that era, because they did it so much, and now I hear it, and, I'm, and I get super excited because it just doesn't happen that often. But um, you know, yeah, all of these dreams, anything but me. Uh, you know, seven below was getting played every two or three nights, um, and they just kind of like, you know, don't don't really play them that much these days.
0: True, true, good point. Yeah, the um, that's yeah, it's sort of interesting. I mean, at least they, like you said, there's some new new music to to throw in there, which is which is cool. But um not like a lot of songs that didn't have a lot of staying power for whatever reason. Could have had to do with the breakup or 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 other stuff. But yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. some songs that just sort of like just went went by the wayside.
1: Yeah. Um, bad bad memories or something.
0: Yeah. Which which could have been I was actually thinking about that the other day as a tangent. Um I was listening to a, a tray band show and listening to push on push until the day which to me seems like the biggest most or not biggest but the most uh straightforward party song that like trey has ever written Mm -hmm. but he still plays it a lot in the in the trey band stuff
1: yeah it's it's kind of like trey bands down with disease like Mm -hmm. um i do uh, like the especially um because of the lyrical content, I'm a little bit surprised, but also like it's got a rip and jam. And that was always sort of like the showstopper for tab, um, you know, back in that era, uh, you really looked forward to to seeing that, you know, they played it almost every night. It seemed like.
0: True. Good point. Um, so Matt, we're going to wrap up part one in a minute. One thing I wanted to mention that I didn't get to is Trey's tone, this tour, maybe we can talk more about it in, in part two, but it's, it's unique and it's recognizable. I think it's one of the ways that you can tell that it shows from this era. If you didn't know when it was from, do you going back, did you enjoy this like Trey's sound at this time? And and what's like, what is that that makes it so recognizable?
1: It's unique. Uh, so this was the the period in which Trey was not using the Ross compressor in his rig that a lot of people did not like his tone um during this period, and when people discovered that he was not using the Ross compressor, that's what eventually, when they were getting the band back together a couple years later, led to everybody on the internet pooling some money and buying him a ross compressor <laughs> um because people people were not fans of of the tone. Um, I think you know it's it's a little abrasive, whereas compared to what you had come from in 1.0 the especially because of the Ross compressor it it made his tone very smooth um, and so in mm-hmm. this period of time he's he's Without the compressor, he's playing uh, exclusively through two Fender Deluxe Reverb amps um, and, you know, leaning on them a lot for the tonality in terms of like the overdrive and stuff like that. And they have a very specific sound. Um, And so he was getting a lot of that. Whereas like before, even though he'd played Fenders in the late 90s, like the the compressor and the way that it was hitting the amp was probably shaping that a little bit more. Um, So he took it off. Now, the funny thing is that, I felt that way at the time too. Like I, I thought that his tone was a little off and I missed the smoothness that you'd hear in the late nineties um, compared to the way that he plays in 3.0. I actually don't think it's that different. Cause I think he plays with a little bit of a harder edge these days with the common amps and stuff. I think he's been searching for that. Um, now he does use the compressor from uh, to a certain degree in the rig now. So it's, it's a little bit different. Um, but uh, I, you know, I, I don't know what his motivation was for doing that at the time. Um, if he wanted something different, uh, you know, or what was going on. Um, the other thing that I I was thinking when I listened to this, there's a big difference in listening to these shows between listening to audience recordings and listening to the live fish recordings mm. because the live fish, if you think back, I mean, this is when live fish started, right? Um, the The New Year's Eve return show uh, 1230, one Oh two was the first show that came out on live fish ever. Um, Mm. and this was the start this period in time was the start of releasing Mm. every Mm -hmm. single show and releasing it. Uh, at this point, I think they, they said they'd get them to you within 48 hours, which seems really funny now. Um, but like they, the recordings that they used were just straight Two track stereo recordings off of the soundboard, um, which I don't think were necessarily like specifically mixed for recording. So the balance is a little weird. There's not a whole lot of audience in them. Um, and so they sound kind of strange when you compare them to a lot of other things. I think that kind of exacerbates the way that Trey's tone sounds hmm. um it kind of like cuz you're just sort of getting like raw guitar in your face when you listen to the recordings instead of it sort of you know blending with the mix a little bit better but if you listen to like audience recordings from this period um it sounds a lot better there's a, there's much better blends. so um i don't know does that i, I hope that-
0: yeah yeah no that makes a lot of sense and i think that explains a lot actually but you, but you don't think it's that much different from, from the current tone. I don't think it's that, I think it's a lot
1: closer to the, to the modern day tone than it was to the late nineties, the late nineties tone. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well, that, that was interesting. And, um, Trey, Trey's guitar rig, Ryan, he, he put up something recently. I think that it, um, set up, he looked at in detail, but, um, he has probably even more, even more detail than what Matt just described. Yeah. If you guys want to learn more.
1: Yeah, definitely go and check that out Trey'sGuitarRig.com. He put up a whole um post where he went he brought up the the it DVD uh and like he he tends to do um has like screenshots showing parts of the rig and uh what the setup was like uh at that point um which actually there used at this point in time there was a diagram on Trey's website too where you could actually go and click through and interact with uh, them and see okay. see what was in the rig too. That was that was pretty cool.
0: Nice. So Matt, I think we're gonna let let everyone get back to their other programming, and we're gonna come back. We have a lot of really cool shows to talk about in part two.
1: Yeah, and I I, uh, I hear a fire alarm, so I think we uh, we probably <laughs> need to to get out of here. It sounds we it do. sounds serious.
0: It does sound serious. Thanks everybody for for listening. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't yet, or, or whatever um, app or platform you use to listen to the podcast. We appreciate your support. We will be back with part two just a, in just a few days so enjoy thanks for listening thanks matt thank you keep on rocking side That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary DTW Void. we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18. Plus. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce.
1: And I'm Nolan, and this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB.
0: Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMV,
1: and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Street.